We'll hear argument next in number 99116, uh, Jeffrey Allen Fisher versus the United States. Mr. Horwitz. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Now, the question here is, does the payment to a hospital for treatment of Medicare patients constitute receipt of benefits under a federal program involving federal assistance? I submit the answer is no. Uh, under Section 666, the federal statute that extends bribery and theft to what would otherwise be local governments and local organizations, the plain language of the statute here, I submit, would define benefits as that entity or that a product that is being administered or cared for by a surrogate of the federal government, uh, which was why this legislation was passed. And the Eleventh Circuit in this case equated benefits with payment. Mr. Horwitz, this, the section is quite lengthy. Is there some particular section, you want, a subsection you want us to focus on? Yes, subsection B, Your Honor, which uh, provides that an organ subsection B is the jurisdictional section for you, B as in buzz or D as in does B as in boy, Your Honor. Boy, okay. Uh, subsection A uh, sets out the prohibited activity, basically theft in subpart one, uh, then bribery or soliciting a bribe. Uh, subpart B. Uh, is the jurisdictional limitation of the statute, B as in boy, which says that the statute applies to organizations that receive benefits in excess of $10,000 under a federal program involving grant, contract, insurance, or other form of federal assistance. So that's, uh, that subsection B is the jurisdictional element, which is, I submit, under the uh, legislative history was included along with subsection C so as to not extend this uh, federal jurisdiction into what would and should be otherwise state law enforcement activity. Isn't the difficulty of your position just based on what you've just quoted? The statute refers to the government as getting the benefits. So I suppose it follows from what you're saying that this statute would never have any application to a Medicare or Medicaid uh, uh, provide a government that, that, that gives money to a Medicare or a Medicaid provider uh, in, in, under its contract obligations. The, is, the answer, that, is that right? That the, the answer to that would be yes, Your Honor. And the reason is that, that the Medicare system, as seen in the, in the uh, legislation and in the Code of Federal Regulation, makes clear that the providers are simply providing a service. The benefit here is to the patient, the Medicare recipient, in getting services. And well, but okay, in but a the way, it, the benefit goes to the provider as well, because we're dealing here with Medicare uh, services by a hospital when they weren't getting paid anything for people who couldn't afford to pay. So Medicare is enacted, and now all of a sudden the hospital can get paid for doing something that it was getting saddled with without pay before. And in a sense, the hospital benefits. Your Honor, in the sense of benefits, in the sense of a, a verb, uh, anyone who receives largesse, any company that receives a payment from the government, benefits. And benefits in the sense of a noun, in the sense of what, in looking at the legislative history, the Del Toro, Hinton, and Mosley cases in which arose and why Congress passed this law before the Dixon case sort of uh, reigned those in, those three cases all involve and the, the administration of assets of the federal government through a surrogate. And if we take the contention of the government, that is, assistance payments, and those who assist, receive assistance payments is the test, then I think Congress would have said that. You know, it, they would have said anyone who receives assistance payments, uh, their organization will be subject to this statute. Yeah, but that, that does seem to be what it, it says. And when it, when it refers to, uh, under subsection B, when it refers to 
benefits under a program involving a grant contract subsidy, uh, subsidy and so on. It sounds, I mean, the, the immediate, the most immediate reading of that language says, oh, whatever the, uh, whatever the organization gets under the grant program subsidy and so on, uh, is, is what the statute is referring to as a benefit, because that's the only kind of benefit that, uh, that organizations get. Uh, that seems to be the, the, the natural reading of the statute. The benefit, and again, getting back to the difference between a noun and verb, Your Honor, the, the purpose, as, as seen in the legislative history, is to protect the funds that surrogates of the federal government are administering. There's no — once that hospital is paid for these services, it's no longer accountable for how it spends its money, nor does the federal government have any interest in how it spends its money. Well, it isn't with respect to a given item of charge. But that doesn't mean that the government's concern is, uh, is, 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 uh, is somehow over, because uh, the government may have a, a, uh, a, a broader systemic concern, even though a particular item of charge has already been paid, and in that respect it's no longer the government's business. It might, but I would submit that if that's what Congress wanted, they would have said anyone who receives assistance payments. If well, not, Congre- Congress could have, could have said that. Uh, but there's this one other thing that, that, that bothers me about your position, and that is, why would Congress have wanted to accept uh, Medicare and, and Medicaid uh, from, the, from the protections that this, uh, for, the, for the public fisc and the public welfare that this statute uh, is obviously aimed at? Why would it have a Medicare-Medicaid exception? I don't think there is, Your Honor, a exception for Medicaid. But there is, you've admitted that there is on your analysis, because on your analysis, the benefit, the person benefited, the one who gets the benefit, is always the patient at the end of the, uh, at the end of the line. Uh, And uh, so it does seem to read the statute out of the, out of the uh, Medicare, Medicaid area. The the Medicare benefits are subject uh, to the protection as long as they stay within the program funds. For example, if someone in the intermediary were to solicit a bribe for making a cost determination that was beneficial to the hospital, that intermediary receives the benefits and disperses those benefits and helps disperse those benefits and is acting as a surrogate for the government to protect So, so benefit would include ill-gotten gain? No. Is that what you're saying? No, Your Honor. I'm saying that the benefits here is the resources that are being utilized in the Medicare system to provide the beneficiary, that is, the patient, with its services. When the hospital is paid, that ends it. But when the intermediary is administering those funds, then they are still subject to the protection of Section So there is a distinction between benefit and funds from which benefits ultimately will be paid. And that's there, what you rely on. There is a distinction between cost of buying a service at which point the administration of the federal funds ends and the individual or company at that point or state, whoever supplies that service, then has the funds to do with as they wish. Under the definition of benefits equals federal assistance, there's a whole parade of horribles that can be imagined, even a, uh, paying a farm company not to grow crops. When they receive those funds, it's over. The, the federal government no longer has an interest in administering those funds. Under the receipt of benefits analysis, uh, somebody, uh, an employee who steals a tractor has now committed a federal offense because the farm company has received assistance in the sense of it hasn't planted crops. Before we go on to the parade of horribles, I, I, I take it from what you said, distinguishing the fiscal intermediary from the provider that all hospitals that administer Medicare that receive, that receive the actual dollars, they are out from under the statute. So could the, the government could go after the fiscal intermediary, but could not go after the hospital that actually receives the federal dollars. Now, if the hospital is receiving those federal dollars, for example, under a program where it is administering, rather than just getting I'm paid. I'm talking about the, the program that we have before us, the Medicare program. The hospital, you said, gets paid. It doesn't get aid. Yes, Your Honor. 
And, and, and I would say that when the hospital is paid for the service, that the coverage of 666 is ended. The, the government, as it, as it mentioned in its brief in opposition to the petition for certiorari, recognized that there are many other statutes passed that specifically protect the Medicare system. Uh, so there's not a necessity to protect, to, to interject the federal government under 666 into how the hospital spends its money after it is paid for its service when the government has no interest on how it spends its money. Well, and the hospital is normally not going to be the defendant here. I mean, it's usually going to be somebody who stole money from the hospital, right? I mean, the the hospital can um, acquire as much uh, ill-gotten gains uh, as it wishes, and it it wouldn't be caught by this statute. Your Honor, if the hospital were to bribe the intermediary, it would be covered. Oh, yes. No, no. But I'm saying if you say that the hospital, if, as the government says, the hospital itself falls under this statute, never mind the intermediary, the hospital itself, the hospital would not normally be the person who, who would be prosecuted. It would, the person prosecuted would be somebody stealing from the hospital. Yes, Your Honor. Not the hospital by reason of it stealing from somebody else. It is, it is. Medicare the, uh, recipient or anybody else. It is the question of how far does the jurisdictional element go? How far does the federal government go into what should and has traditionally been state law? We're not keeping hospitals honest here. That's, that's, that's not what the issue is. The issue is how far does the jurisdiction travel? Does, does it go to all employees of a hospital simply because the hospital is paid for providing a service? Does it go to the driver uh, who delivers uh, food in the hospital truck or picks it up if he decides to steal the truck? Are we going to put that into federal court as a crime? And, and the legislative history, I would submit read fairly, would indicate that Congress was not intent in covering those commercial transactions, and that's why subsection Of course, you could, you could get an employee of the intermediary for stealing a truck, right? Unfortunately, I, mean, I would know, say stealing yes. a truck hypothetical has a lot of if, if a it, lot of appeal, but but you have to acknowledge that somebody's theft of a truck is going to be covered by this, right? If the inter- if the intermediary has a car and an employee steals that car, it's covered, Your Honor. Yes. Well, you were talking about subsection C. It seems to me that that doesn't altogether help you uh, because uh, the terms are the section doesn't apply to salary, wages, fees or other compensation paid. And I take it you claim that this is other compensation This paid? is reimbursement of expenses, Your Honor, which is also covered in subsection C. Even reimbursement of expenses. And a hospital sends me a bill for its X-ray and I pay it. I'm not reimbursing its expenses, and, and nor am I paying him compensation in the usual sense of, 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 of a salary. Well, Your Honor, the — So I — Sorry. I'm not sure C helps help, — is completely helpful to you. Your Honor, the, the reason why I think it's helpful is this. The, this statute was passed before the Court make, came down with its decision in Dixon to attempt to alleviate the perceived problem in Del Toro, Hinton, and Mosley, which was uh, bribery of a, by an agency, a local agency administering funds. Section 201 was the statute that was attempted to be applied in that setting. And if one looks at Section 201, there is no equivalent of subsection C in Section 201. You don't need subsection C uh, to to modify the prohibited activity. You you never have a good-faith corrupt bribe. You never have a good-faith corrupt uh, solicitation of a bribe, and you never have a good-faith theft. You may, however, have a, as in the congressional record cited in, in the briefs where they say, Congress said it wasn't, in, the Senate report, excuse me, said it's not intended to cover the purchase of, say, a copy machine. So if you, if you have a good faith purchase of a copy machine for $10,000, you're not going to subject all the employees of that company to federal jurisdiction. But if it's not a good faith purchase of a copy machine, and therefore it is a type of theft or bribe, then it would cover it. So I think that subsection C, it's interesting that it is not in Section 201. There is something somewhat similar 
to other provisions of Section 201, but there is no subsection C there. Mr. Horwitz, a moment ago, you referred to a Dixon case. Uh, is that a decision of this Court? Yes, Your Honor. Uh, is it cited in your brief? If it is cited in the uh, Salinas case, Your Honor, which talks about, which is the only other case discussed, uh, this, uh, discussing this Section 666 in the statute. Do you have a citation for Dixon? Uh, if, if not, just say so. I, I don't have it very handy, Your Honor, but it is cited in the Salinas case. And the Dixon case was the case that uh, really was the appeal of uh, the appeal of the Hinton case to the Supreme Court is is one and the same as Dixon. And so the it seems to me at least it could be argued that. that C is rather narrow. Uh, it talks about compensation in the sense of a salary and not a contract payment. Well, it, it, and the very fact that it's there indicates that if it weren't there, benefit could otherwise be interpreted as including compensation, which is not helpful to your position. Well, Your Honor, it, it could if, depending on how benefit is described in subpart A, it, that is described as corruptly benefit. And corruptly has been determined to have a significant meaning. Any bribe or solicitation is modified by the term corruptly, which I would submit does away with the necessity of subpart C. And what we have, there's another part that I want to bring the Court's attention here. That is the Medicare system, when this statute was uh, passed, comes into a series of, of the, the legislation itself, which clearly talks about hospitals being providers who are being re- uh, recompensed for the cost of the services, for the beneficiaries are the patients. The CFR, the Code of Federal Regulations. Well, let, also let me put it this way: do, you, do, you, uh, do we have to interpret C in order to rule in your favor? No, Your Honor. I think it's not necessary. I think C is just a further indication of the congressional intent and this claim, the plain words of the statute itself. But benefits, uh, in the sense of a noun rather than a verb, that is to to allow the federal government to have an interest in, in vindicating through its criminal laws those surrogates who are administering the benefits, this package of, of federal benefits until it gets to the end of the road and is distributed, at which point the federal government has no further interest in it. And in this case, there, there was no further interest in what and how a hospital spends its money because the auditing procedures that set forth and the Code of Federal Regulations make it clear that costs, only those costs in relation to patient care, are allowable. And if there's a false uh, attempt by a hospital to be reimbursed for an investment loss or a bad investment, that can be vindicated through a false cost report or false statements to the government under the various statutes. So the, the, the issue here that, that seems to be looming is uh, under the Eleventh Circuit interpretation, how how far is the end? And there is no end if we take benefits and define them as receiving federal assistance, because then. Marwitz, did you, are you distinguishing Salinas on that basis? That in Salinas it was the um, the municipal unit that had the jail that is administering the federal funds. Is that? Well, you know, Salinas uh, specifically did not address the issue of what constitutes benefits under 666. So Salinas talked about whether the bribe uh, uh, had to directly affect the federal funds. And the answer is no. The answer is no. That's not the — we're here to determine whether the entity itself uh, is receiving benefits so as to subject its employees to bribe. Would you answer that question in the Salinas case? Was the organization itself receiving benefits? From reading the case, Ron, I can't give you a specific answer, but it would appear that the, the benefits are to the federal government in a continuing basis to care for its prisoners. So in that sense, it still has an interest in the administration of those funds uh, and the administration of the program to which it is giving, i.e., the sheriff's jail facility. 
So there is a I thought they were getting money from the federal government. Y- yes, they are. Collection I, of the- I wasn't, Your Honor, I wasn't attending to zero in on the money, but rather whether the money that was received was received with the understanding that the jail had to administer it under a, pro- a continuing program and be accountable to the government as to how it dealt with the government's prisoners. So, therefore, the benefit is, was not — has to be some kind of accountability in your theory? Why? I mean, I thought the only issue would be whether the jail was being reimbursed for services provided to the prisoner or not. And I gather it wasn't being reimbursed for any uh, any debt that the prisoner owed. I mean, it's remarkable to think that besides being kept in jail, you owe money for your keeping. I mean, uh, the, maybe they did that once upon a time. The, a good the, idea, but nobody thinks that. The idea. payment is by the marshal service, as I understand it, uh, in Salinas, to the county or to the sheriff for the purpose of assisting the marshal in keeping prisoners in the local right. facility. Right. And, and so the payment there, the benefit is to the continued operation of the jail under the parameters that the marshal seems appropriate. Well, but as, as, as I recall, Salinas, there was a, a payment per day f- for each prisoner, but there was also a grant to improve the jail generally. Right, and, and the, the record, from what I can read of the case, doesn't seem to answer the question of what other provisions might be involved in the marshal's office in determining whether there was some obligation by the jail to satisfy the marshal in a, the way these funds were administered rather than simply, I'm going to pay you so much a day to keep a prisoner, and we don't care how you do it. Well, if if we had the Salinas question before us, uh, and if the only thing the the federal government paid were a per-day reimbursement for each federal prisoner housed in the facility, then it might be like your case. Yes, Your Honor. I assume that your your question also has within it the presumption that the marshal has no interest in how the jail spends the money and how it takes care of the prisoners, because then I think it starts to move it into more of a program being administered by the jail. Because, you know, if the marshal wanted, they could build their own jail and, and take care and control the prisoners. Well, if the federal government had certain standards for how patients should be cared for in the hospitals, that would change it? No, not, not how they should be cared for. If they have certain standards on how the hospital is to administer the money that it is given. If the hospital has an obligation to the government to spend or not spend its money under the government's programs, so that it is continued to to care for the government's funds in its continuing effort under the program. Does the hospital, uh, in your case, have to be certified by the federal government to receive these money as meeting certain standards? The hospital has to be certified by the federal government, but that doesn't, that's not the end in question. It has to be certified, and it has to have at least a decent enough reputation in the community that patients want to go to it. If no patients go to it, Well, then the government is interested in how it spends its money. The in, no, the government is interested in the ultimate cost, and they protect that interest through the cost analysis that goes on in a routine, continuing basis to determine what is the price that's paid. And, however, the government does not have an interest in how the hospital spends its money. The hospital might go out and, in this case, lose its money on a bad loan, a fraudulent loan. Well, it that, has a tremendous interest in how it spends the Medicare money, and don't yeah. they have, like, 500,000 pages of regulations on it? The, the government has five uh, — I don't know the number, Your Honor. I don't either. I <laughs> but but it, it — the government has uh, an interest in how the money is spent only to the extent that, under the Code of Federal Regulations, it will reimburse only those reasonable costs related to health care and providing health care to the beneficiaries. The government does not have an interest in other non-health care related no, assets. No, they may not, but why, why isn't it enough to be a beneficiary? That the government's whole program is aimed at getting money to the hospital to uh, reimburse them for these costs. I mean, obviously, they they think that the patients are beneficiaries, and they obviously also think the hospitals are beneficiaries, don't they? I mean, why not? Why can't both be intended beneficiaries of government largesse, one through the other? The the answer to that, again, gets back to whether they are a beneficiary in the sense of a noun or a verb. Does the hospital receive a benefit from dealing with with, uh, Medicare patients? Yes, they do. But is that the kind of benefit that was a problem in Del Hinton, Mosley, and, 
Uh, Maybe not, but that's my question. Uh, Why not? So what? So what? Mr. Horwitz, do you think that these regulations, 5,000 pages or however many pages, do you think that they prohibit the the hospital from spending more on patient services than the hospital will be reimbursed? I mean, I surely say we'll only reimburse you for, you know, these particular procedures. If the hospital is extravagant and, in fact, expends much more money on a particular procedure, do you think that the government cares? My point exactly, Your Honor. They don't care. So the, 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 the hospital can really ride itself into bankruptcy as far as the government is concerned. The, a hospital but the argument is here that the government is terribly concerned about the hospital being defrauded into bankruptcy. I don't think the hospital, the, the government is any more concerned about what happens with the hospital's money, whether it is in the form of defrauding it, spending it w- wisely or unwisely. I don't think so either. That, that's, that's the difference that I see. And, and Justice Breyer, I think that goes back to your answer. They are not, in, the government has no interest in whether the hospital is properly uh, making investment decisions. It has an interest in whether those costs, only costs that are related to the care and treatment of Medicare patients, is included in those costs to the government and the false statement and Medicare cost provisions ensure and protect that. Well, the government at least is is interested to the extent of making sure that it gets what it pays for with with its money. And and six. And and my, my my point is, as I understand from the briefs, the reimbursement scheme. The reimbursement scheme is that the government, in fact, makes quarterly payments, and then at the end of the year they settle up. Uh, so in point of fact, some of what the government is paying for in any quarter may not necessarily have, have yet been earned by the hospital. Uh, and I suppose the government at least has an interest in making sure that the hospital remains solvent and functioning long enough to, to, uh, to use up the money properly that it has been paid. So I suppose the government does have a continuing interest. Now, there, there's no interest in uh, — if there was, I would submit that the rules and regulations would be different. Many times the hospitals owed money at the end of the time period. It's, it is a cost reimbursement. Well, sometimes cost. it goes one way and sometimes it goes another. The point is the hospital is reimbursed for a cost of providing services. Whether it's paid in advance or after is determined later when they do a, a, an audit for that period. So the, the government still does not have an interest in how the, gov- how the hospital spends its money, whether it does so wisely or not. For to do that would put the federal government into a situation that Congress did not Envision because it could have simply said something else like, we're going to watch how you t- get all your federal assistance. I'd like to reserve the remaining time. Very well, Mr. Horwitz. Ms. Blatt, we'll hear from you. Thank you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Medicare payments to hospitals are covered by Section 666 because hospitals directly receive federal benefit funds under an assistance program. The text of Section 666B applies to recipients of benefits under a federal program involving federal assistance. Well, what do you respond to the uh, uh, contention of uh, the petitioner that if that is true, uh, the local grocery store is also a a beneficiary, and uh, any theft from the corner grocery store becomes a federal, uh, federal crime under this provision? The, the question of whether the grocery by, by reason of the food stamp program, I'm right, talking. Right. And the question would be is whether Section 666 would apply to the grocery store by virtue of the fact that it receives the coupons. The coupons actually go to the customer who would right. then turn it into the store. Right. And, and the all. store is reimbursed for what the store provides to the customer, right, right. by a federal program. Yes, and our The same thing as happens here with the hospital. The hospital provides the services, is reimbursed by the federal government. And our position is that the grocery store who is approved for participating in the food stamp program would be covered by the statute. However, Justice Scalia, there's distinctive features about the Medicare program. All money flows directly to the hospital. No money goes oh, to but the that's, Medi- But that's not crucial to your case. I mean, if your case is right, the local grocery store is covered, and every uh, every stick-up of a, of a, of a, a corner 
supermarket is a, is a federal crime. No, that, that's not correct. The, the theft applies to only agents. So if there's an employee who's stealing $5,000 okay. from the grocery store, that employee could also be stealing the food stamp program or could be receiving bribes in connection with the program, and the government would have an interest in the integrity of those officials at the store. But I — It doesn't apply to a third person that just comes in and sticks up someone at the cash register in the grocery store hypothesis? That's correct. It applies. What, what Section 666 does is protect the integrity yes. of program yeah. funds by assuring the integrity of the agents of the organization that receive them and the types of officials who could be either on the take or uh, involved in transactions over $5,000 could mishandle federal money. And, and you think the government was really concerned with, uh, with the financial uh, stability of local grocery stores uh, so that it wanted to be sure that nobody is uh, embezzling money from local grocery stores because, after all, these local grocery stores are in the food stamp program. The prototypical financial assistance program Congress had in mind is no different than the Medicare program, in which what the federal government does is give benefit monies to, to organizations who turn around and use that money to provide services or other assistance to beneficiaries. No, there are two, there are two different things. In, in some situations, the money is provided to the organization, and the organization is told, go provide the services. That is what is done to the intermediaries under Medicare. But it's quite something else to say, when you have provided services to somebody, we will reimburse you after the fact for those services you've provided. It seems to me that's fundamentally different and that the federal government doesn't have any concern about the financial stability of that organization so long as the services have been provided uh, of a quality that the government uh, desires. Well, there's two responses to that, Justice Scalia. Medicare does not work differently than a lot of programs in which what the government does is either reimburse or compensate an entity for providing services. I know. And, and, but there's still financial assistance programs, and the government does have an interest in the integrity of those funds. If a hospital is either uh, filled with corrupt officials, two things can be happening. The first is that the hospital is less likely to provide uh, care, quality patient care to Medicare beneficiaries, and that directly hurts the program. Well, you have regulations that prevent that directly and immediately. The regulate well, the regulations or criminal statutes deal with fraud in connection with the program. They don't act prophylactically to protect the institution from having corrupt officials. The other thing that this does is the official that was bribed in this case was the chief financial officer. He just as well could have been taking bribes to refer patients to uh, unnecessary medical services or to purchase unnecessary medical supplies or to undergo unnecessary procedures. And that would have been picked up under the regulations governing the program. Yeah. Un- right. Well, it would have yes, but this official in this case was taking a bribe in connection with just taking the hospital's money and making a bogus loan, and that threatened this institution's capacity to service Medicare beneficiaries, and that hurts the Medicare program. Just, ju- just as the local grocery store won't be able to sell groceries, I know not a swallow falls from the air that the government, federal government, isn't concerned about it. But do you really think that this uh, this statute was directed at assuring the solvency of the local grocery store? Or the the local hospital. What does the government care so long as the services are provided at the cost that the government considers reasonable? Because this is an assistance program in which the whole point of which was to provide federally funded services to needy individuals who qualified under the program. And if the hospital has corrupt officials, something's going to give with respect to the hospital. Either the hospital's going to cut its staff or it's going to stop providing, uh, performing certain procedures, and that hurts the program. This was a lot of money for Follow the relatives. falling from the air. I mean, you could say the same about the grocery store. God, they're going to start. Next thing you know, they'll be selling rotten beets and so forth. Uh, well, this case involves a Medi- Medicare program, and the Medicare program depends upon the solvency of hospitals and the, integ- and the integrity of the officials who work there. Again, this was a, a relatively small ho- ho- hospital serving a rural area where a lot of people were Medicare beneficiaries in the community, and the government saw an interest in this case in prosecuting uh, the, the petitioner who bribed the chief financial officer of the hospital for making a million-dollar loan. We, we also — You think here — in any event, I mean, it seems to me Medicare is about $200 billion or more, isn't it? It's $300 billion. $300 billion, And I think isn't the federal government aware that giving $300 billion to hospitals makes a big difference as to whether the hospitals are stable or not? I mean, it seems to me that I've seen cases in which the Medicare regs are 
you give more money to the federal to the uh, hospital's capital costs, or you give less money, depending on whether they're teaching hospitals, on whether the hospital needs it, because in the absence of the extra money contribution to capital, the hospital will fail or would be unlikely to be able to provide a teaching service or certain other services, etc. It seems to me I've seen arguments like that in cases. Am I misremembering them? No. I mean, there, there's no question that the Medicare uh, Act has a lot of features which subsidize the hospital to make sure it can survive. Most hospitals are dependent on Medicare to assure their financial if survival. That's so then isn't this unlike the food stamp program, whatever the merits of the food stamp program are or are not vis-a-vis the statute, that this statute foresees as one of its objectives of funneling a lot of money to hospitals so that they, in fact, can maintain the services that they previously provided or might think of providing, et cetera? Or is that an unfair characterization? No, I think that's fair. I mean, Hospitals are dependent on the Medicare program, and the Medicare program is dependent on hospitals. It it may be fair, but has the government established that in this case? I mean, to be sure, all that B says is the circumstance referred to in some is that the organization receives in any one-year period benefits in excess of $10,000. Now, you're you're now saying that, indeed, the hospitals may receive some other federal benefits in excess of $10,000. I thought the only thing you were relying upon was the fact that it's reimbursed for the services that it provides to Medicare recipients in excess of $10,000. Wasn't that the only reliance? uh, No. Our position is that the Medicare funds that are paid to hospitals are indisputably federal benefit funds that are received by the hospital. Those are the only funds you're relying upon is under B. Well, to the extent that there's some requirement that the hospitals be considered in in and of themselves aided, we think that criteria is met. But we don't think the statute requires it. It doesn't require that the recipient be an administrator. That word doesn't appear anywhere in the statute. You you may think it's met, but did you establish that it was met below? Oh, yes. We established that 10 to 15 million dollars in Medicare payments went to I mean, aside from Medicare payments, you're you're now saying you, you take the position that even if Medicare payments don't count, the hospital is still a beneficiary under some other oh, that's Did correct. you establish the only, that below? Yes, I think you're correct. The only thing in the record is that the, the, okay. the f- finance officer said that most health organizations are dependent on uh, f- funds that come from the federal government. But our primary position is, was that under the plain language of this statute, the term benefits is talking about either benefit money or other things of value that, that are provided under a federal program involving federal assistance. Medicare is a, qu- is a quintessential federal assistance program that provides the benefit funds to the hospitals that turn around and use this money to provide federally funded medical services. Ms. Blood, I'd like to come back to the horribles and I gather from footnote 12 on page 31 in your brief, you are conceding the grocery store example. Uh, We would take the position that a grocery store that participates in the food stamp program receives the money. However, Justice Ginsburg, it raises the question of whether the statute would extend to earmarked funds that go to the recipient only through an indirect relationship. That question is not posed at all under the — by a hospital receiving money under Medicare. The — Do you make the same distinction with respect to the, the government-insured tuition? Actually, I don't think our theory covers student loans at all because the federal assistance doesn't ever make its way to the school. The federal assistance under the loan program are interest rate subsidies and the guaranteed loan that goes to the bank. So, but, but the, so it's, it's not at all like the Medicare program, which all the federal money goes straight to the hospital. There is nothing the beneficiary can do to direct the money to go to him or herself, and the hospital cannot bill the patient for Medicare services. Mr. Horowitz made some distinction between uh, patient-assigned benefits and payments that would go directly to the hospital that aren't dependent on a patient assignment and said that there was no showing here that the direct payment rather than the assigned benefit applied. There is no such distinction under the statute. So it's true that the record didn't reflect 
how, whether this hospital, all the money was under Part A or Part B. But this court, court will call from all its Medicare cases what the hospital does. It takes all its cost and tells the government what they were under this very complicated system, and all the money goes to the hospital. So what, no matter what the service is that the hospital is providing, the federally funded service, all money flows to the hospital. The patient can't say, well, I want the money to go to myself, and then I'll pay the hospital. And that is somewhat significant because the hospital gets a, a huge advantage from that system in, in that they don't have, the hospital doesn't have to rely on the solvency or the goodwill of the patient. The money goes to the hospital. That's true. But ultimately, when, when the books are balanced, the only thing that the hospital gets is, is, is reimbursement for the cost of services it has provided to the reasonable cost of services it has provided to And the essentially, Justice Scalia, that is no different than the prototypical financial assistance programs Congress had in mind when it passed this statute. The Model Cities program, the CETA program, were all instances in which all the government did was give money to an organization to provide the cost and expenses for providing services to needy individuals under those assistance programs. Yes, but what but that they gave the money to the organization to give it away. They didn't give money away. They gave job training, career counseling, and other kinds of community development. There are a, gar- a lot of garden variety assistance program in which what the government does is gives a grant to an organization to turn around and provide counseling or training or educational services to intended beneficiaries. We reimburse states for immunization programs so they can provide preventative health services to needy citizens. But that's it's a reimbursement that, system. That's as if in this case — there were an entity that received money and, and held it until the hospital submitted uh, a, a bill. And that entity, that in, fiscal intermediary, it seems to me might well be covered by the statute because it's holding funds in order uh, to uh, disperse them uh, to another entity that then performs service. Well, yeah, but, yeah, but to, here, the in this question, the hospital itself performs the service. Right, the hospital is paid in advance. Secondly, under the Model Cities program, as this Court pointed out in Salinas, had to first spend the money and then seek a, a funding request from the government. And the state immunization programs work the same way. You reimburse the states. The question isn't just whether there's reimbursement. The question is whether it is reimbursement for a debt that somebody else owes. That's the crucial distinction here. In those other programs, there's no debt that these people who were provided these services owed to the model cities or anybody else. But here there is a debt that the person who got the medical services owes to the hospital. And all the federal government is doing is picking up that debt. That, that right. It's a world of difference from, from another benefit program. There are a lot of benefit programs in which the service provider could have charged a fee but what the government is doing is providing a federal federal funding, a benefit program, by providing funds to the organization to turn around and use those funds to to provide the services. Ms. Blatt, you said a moment ago that the hospitals are paid in advance. How, yes. how, how do we know that? Um, we know that from the, the statute, the regulations at a Good Samaritan, actually the court – concern this very payment structure to preserve the hospital's liquidity. What the statute and the regulations do is provide an advanced funding mechanism that tries to estimate what the, the services the, the hospital will perform, and then there's the quarterly adjustments throughout the year. Was that established in this case, that this is the it's mechanism? required by the statute that that's how they have to be paid. But, no, it's not in the record. That's correct. In advance of what? In advance of the provision of the services or in advance of the submission by the hospital of the actual accounting for the services? Do we actually know that the, that the that there, you know that there's a time lapse the government gets the mo- uh, the hospital gets the money before it's actually provided service i don't think it matters what the, what the statute does is or what the, how the program works is that they're paid twice a month right. based on what they think they're going to be paid for the whole year and so whether or not the service has been provided or a claim's been submitted the hospital gets the money but it, yeah, but it i all- think it's misleading to say it's paid in advance it, it, it's paid in advance of of actually figuring out how much they had they had expended but i don't think anybody knows whether in fact uh, they're a little bit behind or a, or a little, little bit ahead at any one point it's correct the fact what, but whether or not they've provided the services is irrelevant they oh, still get but, the money but, but uh, uh, what justice Scalia just said is, is your present position now that sometimes they could be behind and sometimes they could be ahead they, it's a That's correct. bi-monthly no, thing it's a bi-monthly thing and so the the hospitals are 
advance the money until there's been a reconciliation to see whether they're ahead or behind. But our fundamental point is not that they get the money beforehand or they get the money after. The fundamental point is that when there is corruption by hospital officials, the Medicare program suffers. I understand that, but don't agree with me if you think I'm wrong. Okay. But it just seems to me you're going on the theory, hey, kid, here's a quarter, buy some bubble gum. All right? That's one kind of program. But it would be naive to think this is that kind of program. I mean, this is thousands of pages of regulations that go into negotiated costs with the hospital, including capital costs and everything under the sun, and all you have to do is put down a, a book of HHS regulations and you'll see it. And that, to me, is not a program that's just like, hey, reimburse the guy for some bubble gum he gave the kid. No, what our — And this is a, this yes. is a very complex, uh, cost-focusing, uh, negotiated uh, uh, system of what is repaid, what isn't, and how does that affect the hospital. But well, don't agree. Say I'm wrong if I'm wrong. Well, I think the best way to look at it is that Medicare is essentially a grant to hospitals that is calibrated to the cost of providing the federally funded services. It is true the beneficiaries are the patients, the program beneficiaries, but that is no different than the prototypical financial assistance programs Congress had in mind when it passed the statute. And whether in the Model Cities program they said to an organization, here's a million dollars, please improve the life of of city residents, or they say to a hospital, here's a billion dollars or a hundred billion dollars, provide federally funded medical services to elderly people who are qualified uh, to get those services under the program. You wouldn't say that the food stamp program is essentially a program of grant to grocery stores, would you? I think the food stamp program works works differently because the federal benefit Benefit is the coupon, which is essentially like cash, although it's earmarked cash, because it can only be spent at the grocery store. But if the individual burns his coupon or it gets stolen or he he loses it, that's it. And and, and in the hospital case, all the money flows. There's just no interference by or interruption by the beneficiary, the elderly patient. He or she goes in for a procedure. The hospital gets paid. And, again, this this is... so much like the Garden Variety Assistance Program, where what Congress does is compensates an entity for providing services. And this is the Model Cities Program. It was to improve the, the living conditions of the city residents. Under the CETA Program, which was at issue with the Bosley case, it was job training, career counseling. And in the Community Development Block Program, the beneficiaries were people who needed housing assistance, and what they did was rehabilitate uh, people's homes. If, if Do you think, think the, 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 the dispensers of the job training or whatever in those programs uh, charge people for the, for the services? Do you think they would get any, you know, any, any takers if they, if they charge for the services? They might. There's lots of organizations now that provide career counseling or even drug counseling services, but they still get grants under the federal government to do those came, they get same grants, kinds of services. But, but the federal government is not, is not paying a debt that somebody else owes them. Yes, they are. If that person, if I went in for drug counseling or drug rehabilitation, presumably I'd have to pay for the service. They're not giving it to me for free. Uh, My parents or I might have a trust fund that covers it, but if it's done under a federal grant, then it's it's a benefit to me, but the institution that's providing those services are receiving the benefit funds. The plain language of the statute applies to recipients of of benefits, and that's talking about the benefit funds or other items of value. And there's just no question that Medicare is a classic federal assistance program. It directly provides those benefit funds to the hospitals that turn around and use those funds to provide assistance to individuals. Before Medicare was enacted, a lot of people uh, got these services for free. And what Medicare did was, was say, we don't want elderly people to have to pay for the cost of hospitalization when they're over 65 because it could ruin them financially. So this is just a, a quintessential assistance program where the hospital is receiving the benefit funds. And if I could turn um, briefly to subsection C, which uh, the, the petitioner also relies on, our position is that what subsection C does is it prevents a routine commercial payment excuse me, that is referring to routine commercial compensation payments to individuals. That section talks about bona fide 
salary or wages or other forms of compensation or reimbursement in the U.S. Doesn't the word corruptly already handle that? And it's significant that the word corruptly was added to the statute at the same time subsection C was added to make absolutely clear that the types of payments to individuals described in subsection C would not be prosecuted as corrupt payments. I think the fact that they were added at the same time makes it worse rather than better. Corrupt would have done the job. Uh, It suggests that C, uh, C means something else. How can you possibly corruptly solicit or demand uh, anything of value uh, which would not automatically buy, uh, come within C? Does this, not apply to bona fide salary wages? Right. The same thing could be said of the bank bribery statute, which subsection C was lifted verbatim from. That is 18 U.S.C. 215 C's, the bank bribery provision. That provision also prohibits the corrupt payments of individuals. Congress added the word corrupt at the same time it added subsection C in identical language. The same thing happened a year later with this section, section 666C. And the legislative history is, is unambiguous on this point that, Cong- that section 666 prohibits the corrupt payment and not these routine kinds of commercial payments to individuals. And it, other problem with petitioner's reading, and this is similar to our point on the, on the subsection B, is that to exclude any kind of compensation or reimbursement or expenses paid to an organization would exclude the very kinds of assistance programs Congress had in mind when it passed this statute. It's completely inconsistent with the word contract in subsection B, which shows that Congress obviously contemplated the federal government would get consideration in exchange for providing benefit funds to organizations. And the last point I want to leave the Court with is it's very significant that this statute applies to organizations, governments, and agencies. It doesn't apply to individuals. The jurisdiction applies to the entities. The the criminal defendant is an individual. But the jurisdiction reaches organizations, governments, and agencies, even though the beneficiaries of most assistance programs are, in fact, individuals. Mm. And that is because what Congress is trying to do is when you have corruption directed at the recipient that provides the services, (laughs) the beneficiaries of the program are hurt. So at least it won't hit the mom-and-pop grocery store. We, we can get the, that gets the mom and pop grocery store off. I mean, if it's not incorporated. Like, yes, it has to, right. Right. It has to be an organization, mm-hmm. government, or agency, and it also has to be a transaction involving $5,000 or more. And if there are no further questions, we would ask that the judgment be affirmed. Thank you, Ms. Blatt. Uh, Mr. Horwitz, you have three minutes remaining. Thank you, Your Honor. M- Mr. Horwitz, let's. Uh, 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 I, I assume that if Blue Cross got this money or some fiscal intermediary and was holding it and then paid the hospital, if it was just holding fund, that the statute would apply to Blue Cross. It would apply to Blue Cross, and it would, Your Honor, okay, it would apply. Why doesn't it apply to your hospital if your hospital received funds in advance and simply has to wait in order to draw down on them? The hospital, I, I think or, the key or, wait, or has to wait in order to make a legitimate claim to them, even though it can draw down. I, I'll try to answer this briefly with uh, – the government's contention here, and it was stated even in the argument, this is still federal money. They want to say this is still federal money. This is a grant. In all those thousands of pages of CFRs, they never once talk about this money as a grant. It's a payment for services to the provider. And whether the provider is paid one day in advance or one day behind, it's still payment for services. It's not federal money. All of the Kate, the Mosley, Hinton, uh, Del Toro cases all talk about administering federal funds. You don't challenge them, Mr. Horwitz. Uh, Ms. Blatt's statement that sometimes it may be a little bit ahead, sometimes it may be a, a little bit behind so far as the actual accounting is concerned. That, that may very well be, Your Honor. I, and I don't think that's — it's in any event, the CFR makes clear that what the hospital is getting is cost reimbursement, and they ha- may have to adjust that cost later. What, what do you do about the argument that that's what's happening in the Model Cities program? Job training, you're getting uh, the, the, the company that gets the money or the organization gets the money is being reimbursed for the cost of providing job training. Because the question still is, is that all that is involved? The government wants to equate this with a grant. A grant indicates there's some providing of ultimate service. If a grant, if a, if a, uh, local entity is given money to administer a service and say that's hand out methadone treatment, the service, the benefit has still not been handed out. The government has an interest in making sure that that person doesn't, uh, isn't bribed to hand out a methadone pill to somebody who doesn't deserve it. 
That's different from simply paying for the service. And, yes, Medicare is complicated. There are thousands of pages of regulations, but not in one time does that regulation say this is a grant, this is a gift, this is anything other than we're going to pay you for services. We may have to fight with you about what the cost of those services are, but it is clearly not federal money, and the government wants to treat it as federal money. It is federal money. Well, Your Honor, if it is. My question, well, maybe I'll. Thank you, Mr. Horwitz. The case is submitted.